It's Saturday night, 8.42. I just got off the phone with Tyler, and I had such a wonderful conversation with him. I just, I have so much joy in my heart for this child, and am so proud of who he is. This kid genuinely is interested in God, and there is nothing that could make my heart happier. And I know it's not him just trying to please his daddy. He asks questions. He's smart. He has insight into things spiritually that a child his age should not. But the, the main thing I want to record and remember is that tonight Tyler told me, um, he volunteered to me that um, he'll walk into the kitchen and mom and grandma will be talking and all of a sudden he'll walk in the kitchen and they'll stop talking and say, shh, you know, or whatever. And I said, well, it's probably because they're having a conversation about me. And I said, Tyler, that's a good thing that they're wanting to stop talking bad about me in front of you. I also recognize that it probably real, they probably realize that Tyler tells me things. They probably know that Tyler has a loyalty to me or that the kids are having a loyalty thing to me and telling me. So they're having, you know, conversations with themselves. But, um, he also told me something that was a little disturbing. He said that Coach, which is his grandpa, creeps him out. He said he's just he, he's creeped out by him. And I said, why? Is he doing anything wrong to you guys? He goes, no, he just creeps me out. And he says, Dad, he, he never smiles. And he says, you know, like ever since the divorce, he never smiles. And I said, well, Tyler, it's been rough for him. And he really hates your dad and is very angry towards me. Um... And then I got the opportunity to explain the need to pray for him. Again, I've told him over and over that I pray for mom, I pray for grandma, I pray for coach, and I asked Tyler to really begin to pray and that we can see a miracle. And he said, God, he said, Daddy, he said, did, did God tell you when you were praying that he was going to make grandpa's heart get harder, make coach's heart get harder? And... I said, no, he didn't tell me that. And I'm, here it is. My 12-year-old son is recognizing the hardness of heart in the grandpa. He sees it. He knows it. And I said, no, he didn't. I said, he did tell me that mom's heart had been hardened. I said, but what happened to coach and grandma and, and mom can happen to anybody that holds somebody in unforgiveness. And I said, this is a spiritual principle of the unmerciful servant, where in the end, the man who was forgiven, but then didn't forgive his fellow servant, was turned over to the tormentors until he should pay back all that he owes. And I said, you remember those, the spirits that you can see, Tyler? He said, yeah. And I said, the demonic spirits? I said, their primary mode of attack is by whispering thoughts into people's heads. You should never forgive that person. Can you believe what they did to you? They deserve to be, you know, and going on and on and on and on. And I said, the person's not aware that the devil's doing this, but this is what they're hearing and they act on it. And then they become, they're outside of God's favor and, and blessing. And they, they're not happy. They have no rest. They have no joy. They have no peace. And I just explained to him to pray. And then I finally got the opportunity to tell Tyler that God was doing something extraordinary in my life right now, asking me to obey him to the point of putting them on the altar. I told him the quick story of Abraham and Isaac, and I said, you got to trust me. God is giving evidence to my, to your mom and to your coach right now that I'm everything they've said I was. They've said I'm the devil, that I don't provide, that I'm not a good dad, that I'm a liar, that I abandon you guys, that I don't send any money, that I don't care about you. 
And I said, God is actually putting me in a circumstance where by me obeying him, it's actually giving them evidence, false evidence, that lines up with all the accusations that they've made about me. And I said, I don't know why God's doing that, but all I can tell you is that I'm obeying God. He's humbling me, showing me total dependence upon him. And I said, Tyler, I've journaled all of this. And one day you'll be able to, to get this and harvest it and, 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 you know, use it and learn from it to have a great relationship with the Lord and learn some things. And he said, I believe you, dad, I get it. And I just, even though he was sharing something negative with me, I am just so blessed and blown away by my son's desire. He doesn't really have a, a huge relationship with him yet, but he's he's got a desire to know him and to know about the things of God, and it just blows my mind, and it's just absolutely awesome. I also told Tyler, if he hangs in there, he's going to see that God is going to ready to do a miracle. He's going to do a miracle and turn this whole thing around, but that uh, God was going to show up and take care of business. So just after I finished making this big recording about living by obedience and not um, by outcome-based and then this big long recording about the persecution and the doubt and the worry and all the things that my mom has been saying to me this morning, um, they come in and she finds me outside on the porch. She comes up to me and she says, Michael, I just, I just want to say one more thing to you and then I'm not going to say anything else today, I promise. And I'm like, oh man, and I can feel the resistance. I want to just jump on it and go, no, I don't want to hear anything that you're going to say because nothing you say is in faith. It's all coming from a place of fear. And, um, but I didn't. And I just was gentle and let her say her thing. And she says, you keep saying that God is going to deliver you in this miraculous way. Michael, isn't it possible that God is already delivering you in a miraculous way with all these jobs that you've said no to. That God's provision is that you haven't had to ask for a single job. Is it possible that, and she keeps bringing up the whole, you know, the guy who's sitting on top of his house in a flood situation and praying, oh God, save me. And God sends a, a guy in a canoe and a guy in a boat and a guy in a helicopter and Finally, the guy drowns, and he says, Lord, he didn't save me. He says, I sent a canoe and a boat and helicopter. That's a cute story, and I think it probably applies in a few situations, but it's totally not biblical. And, again, it comes back to, are you hearing from the Lord? And is what the Lord asking you to do does it line up with his purposes that we see for man in the word? Okay? And one of the things we know is that God induces suffering on people for the purposes of character development. To get rid of all things in them that are outside of his character. Things that prevent us from being used by him things that prevent us from being in deep, abiding relationship with Him. So it's God's desire that we be made into the image of Jesus Christ. And one of His best favorite tools is suffering. And, you know, if when you obeyed God, let's just be real. If when you obeyed God, every time He asked you to jump, 
you know, you jumped all the way to the clouds or every time he asked you to do something, it instantly, you know, blessed you. And, you know, he jumped out of the cake and said, oh, I'm so happy for you, you know, or, or some great thing happened to you. How much faith would it require to be obedient to God? And how much blessing would there be if every time you obeyed God, just great things happened? No, that's not the way it works. God doesn't say, look at my servant, he obeys me. This is the argument that Jesus cried, that, that Satan posed to God about Job. God looked at him and said, hey man, he's blessing you. You're, you're, you're blessing him. That's why he's so happy. That's why he's so blameless. But touch his possessions and he'll curse you. In other words, make his life a little more difficult. And then we'll see if he loves you and holds fast to you. Well, God took him up on that. Why? Because that is where God's glory lies. When a man says, even though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. Even though he bless me, yes, will I trust in him. No, that doesn't make sense. That's not where God gets his tremendous glory. God gets tremendous glory from those that obey him when it's inconvenient or even painful to do so. We see this in the word. So is my story lining up with that? Yes or no? The answer is absolutely yes. Are there things in Michael Criswell that need to die if God is going to use me for anything out of the ordinary or even for basic stuff? Yes. Have I been given to a tremendous spirit of insecurity and pride? Yes. <clears throat> has I has one of my you know guilty pride pleasures been that even if I failed, I'd still have a reputation as a family man and a provider for my family. Yes, I say it in my story. This is pride. Jesus says we can't put anything or anybody before him. People have been taught that, you know, we don't have to really take Jesus's word so seriously and that he must not have really meant what he said when he says no one who loves mother or father or child more than me is worthy of me. He meant it. Well, how does he know if somebody loves him truly more than he loves his family members? Well, you get tested. You get put in situations to see if you really believe what you say. If you will really act on what you believe. This is why James said that faith without works is dead. He says, one man says, I'll show you my faith without deeds. And James says, I show you my faith by what I do. He says, can that kind of faith without deeds really save you? The answer is no. It was Abraham's faith was credited to him as righteousness because he believed God. And he took action on what God told him to do. And what God asked him to do was never comfortable. There's not even anything comfortable about waiting for a promise from God. You say, oh, I got a promise from God. It should be coming. Yeah, but it's painful to wait. It's painful to not take matters into your own hands and try and save yourself or manipulate the outcome. Because we want things now. We don't want to trust God, but it doesn't, you, you, you're not trusting God if you begin to manipulate. You're not trusting God if you're sitting there waiting anxiously, feverishly. And what is the point? The point of trusting God is to be in relationship with Him. And, and if you're so fixed on the results, the outcome, the promise, the deliverance, whatever, the restoration, 
You're not fixed on the deliverer. You're not fixed on the promiser. You're not fixed on the restorer. And we have got to get this. This is one of those do not pass go, do not collect $200 moments. Don't be here of this word and not a doer. God really does mean. He wants us to put Him first, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. How many of us can say we're really doing that? So many of us go to church and get busy doing busy stuff, even serving and doing good things, and we've put the Great Commission before the Great Commandment. This is wrong. So back to my point. My mom's asking, she says, So Michael, do you think it's possible that it's you that's wanting God to have this amazing story, that, that you're wanting to have this miraculous story, but that God's not necessarily... In other words, is it, is it you that's wanting this or is it God that's wanting this? And I said to her, Mom, this is what God wants. I'm being obedient to it. But yes, the desire of my heart is to see God glorified in amazing ways. I live for evidence of God. It is the, the song of my heart. It's what he's written into my heart is to make a big deal out of God. This is why I exist, to make a big deal out of him. And I signed up and said, God, use my life and give me a story that gives you much glory. Yes, not for me, for him. Because the whole time God is showing me that I don't have anything that I haven't been given. And there's not anything God will give to me that he wouldn't give to somebody else who would believe just like me. I love what Rusty said. Rusty said, God doesn't have favorites. He has seekers. God doesn't look down and say, oh, there's Michael. I want to favor him. No, he looks down and says, there's Michael. He's seeking me. He's seeking me with all of his heart. I'm going to step into that. I'm going to be in that. I'm going to walk with him. He's going to feel me at a different level, at a closer place than, than other people do because he's, he's desiring, he's hungering for me. And then my mom begins to say, you know, well, I even talked to Jim, which is a friend of ours about this, and you know, he doesn't know what to think. I said, mom... You're asking people about my situation of which they've never in their life even come close to being in. It said it's the blind leading the blind. You got to ask people that are ahead of me what they think about my story, not people that have never really lived in faith. How can you ask a person who doesn't understand what faith is, well, what do you think about this? This faith thing that Michael said, that's ridiculous. I didn't say that to her. I'm just saying this in the journal. We can't ask. It's the, what Jesus says, the blind leading the blind. I said, Mom, this isn't anything anybody around me even really gets. I'm all alone in this except for with God. And I pointed out, she goes, oh, you're right. You're all alone in this. She said, I am not in this with you. She says, you know, I just do not believe this is from God. And I just, I just want you to know I'm out. I'm just, I do not believe. I mean, full on telling me, full on telling me, God have mercy upon her, her for a lack of faith. Full on telling me that she's not with me in this. Man, is there a big I told you so coming. And even then, she still won't believe. I guarantee you she'll find a way to, to chalk this up to coincidence. Just like she has. How could a person see the 777 miracle that she saw firsthand? She would see me see the 666 and the letters would show up. And she saw the 555s and the 777s. She saw all of that. And then still can doubt 
this is why Jesus kept showing me that scripture. We testify to what we have seen. We speak of what we know and you still do not believe us. I mean, it's so frustrating, but Jesus says, a student is not above his teacher. A servant is not above his master. He said, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they believe my teaching, they'll believe yours. He means there's some that are going to believe you. There's some that are going to doubt. Man, if they doubted Jesus, I think that's one thing I have got to hold on to. This is something else that God has shown me is don't ever think that what God does in my life is so big that there still won't be doubters. There still won't be people who even after they see all that they see, it's so hard for me to believe that somebody could doubt like this. But yet, if they saw Jesus do the things that he did and still didn't believe, they're still going to not believe me when when Jesus does these things through me. Because it's still the same person. It's still Jesus doing it. So for my mom to just so blatantly, and I know she's tired because she didn't sleep last night, but blatantly say to me, I'm not with you. You know, nobody's with you in this. And I just, I'm all alone. And you know what? I am saying, okay. Because when you have God on your team, you are the majority. Amen. Preach it, brother. Preach it, brother. When God is on your team, when it's you and God, you are the majority. You're an overwhelming force. If God is with me, the Bible said, who can be against me? If God be with me, who can be against me? And I, this is just, this is epic. Now here's, here's something I want to make sure that I capture in this journal entry. I want any person that ever gets the opportunity to listen to this to not be thinking, man, Mike has such great faith. I mean, I understand how his mom could doubt like this because like, I don't think I could believe God for this. I mean, this is huge. I mean, how do you get this kind of faith? Okay, I think there's going to be a lot of people who when they read my book or hear the story are going to think that. And I think this is the point that I have got to make. And I hope this comes through clear. In spite of what a person has concluded from listening to my story and what they'll see after God delivers me, I do not have as much faith as people think I do. I don't want people to hear these passionate outbursts, me declaring and speaking faith, and think that I'm this way 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Now the reality is, yes, I'm like this a lot. I'm like this a lot, most of the time. But... It hasn't always been this way. It's been a growing faith. God has developed a track record with me. And the thing that I want to make sure is clear is my faith is not this strong. It is God's grace that has empowered my faith. So basically what I do is I take my mustard seed of faith and I say, okay, God, I hear your word. You want me to fire my attorney? I'll believe you on this. I see it in your word where you want us to have you leave room for vengeance, and you want to be the one to judge between us and our enemies. I get it. I'll do this. So fire my attorney? Okay, I think I can do this. And then immediately after, what God does is He begins to bring His grace into the situation. With me, it was numbers. 
It could be the encouragement word of somebody else, a devotion, a circumstance, a kind word or a specific word from a stranger, a message from somebody with the gift of prophecy. But what it is is that it's God's grace that begins to uphold you when He sees that you will trust Him, when He sees that you're willing to take the first step. That's when God enters into it and He begins to strengthen you by His grace. So people look at people that have such great faith and they go, man, I mean, how in the world? I mean, I can't speak this for everybody, but I know God's not doing something so new and so unusual for me that He's never done for somebody. Maybe the method is different, but the approach is always the same. God sustains by His amazing grace. It is absolutely astonishing how God does this. So I don't want people to think, man, he's got such great faith. No, there are moments when I absolutely doubt. There are moments when I go, God, please help me. There are moments when I've cried and said, God, I'm at my wit's end. And there may be more of those days. Right now I see an 1101, which is now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. See, but there are moments I have doubt, but I overcome those by faith in the Spirit. Doubt and anxiety and worry come from the flesh. Those are fruits of the flesh. You always have the capacity to produce that kind of fruit. Whatever you feed grows. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's peace. And not a peace, as Jesus said, not as the world gives he says, peace I give you, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives do I give, I give you peace that surpasses all understanding. This is what, what Jesus does, that in spite of circumstances, but sticking with the point, if you will just give God your mustard seed of faith, His grace, if He sees you're serious, His grace will take over and you will begin, before you know it, you're going, how have I made it this far? How have I made it this long? And this is what I say. And I have these moments of sharp, stark terror where I go, God, if you don't deliver me, I'm going to jail. I mean, right now, if God does not deliver me, it is highly likely I will end up in jail. But that's not something I'm willing to consider because God has said He will deliver me. How do I know this? Because He shows me through numbers. He shows me through scriptures. He keeps showing them to me over and over. That's God's grace. He's saying, I'm with you, son. Keep the faith. But he even still has to continue to encourage me. He has to continue on a daily basis. So how strong is my faith? That's not very strong at all. So God massaged me. God gave me this amazing grace to believe him for these impossible things that he's doing in my life. This is not Michael Criswell. This is not a super Christian. This is not, I have a, a, a Christian cape. This is God coming alongside of my little mustard seed of faith because He sees my true heart's desire to believe Him for His best, to bring Him glory. And so it's to God's, it's to God's glory for Him to assist us in this. He will provide the grace to help stand you up. Paul was not some superhuman in faith. God was doing things for him to, to increase his faith. Even Peter you know, after all that he saw with Jesus Christ, declares in the book of Acts, he says, Now I knew that an angel of the Lord had been sent to set him free. How could he not know that God was with him and would set him free after he walked with Jesus for three and a half years? He was on his own. But what did he say? He says, Now I knew. So through experience, through God's miraculous provision, 
he began to recognize and knew God was with him. So God supports us. I'm all over the place in these entries like this, but I think they'll be valuable for somebody to hear at one point and for me to remember and for my kids, obviously, for my children to hear would be the best. But the thing, um, the point that I want to end on is that I don't ever want anybody to look at the amazing things that God has done and is doing in my life and them declare, I don't have faith like Michael. I've had several people say to me, I don't have faith like that. And I don't want them to think that it's my faith because it is not. Because I don't have faith like this. I don't know how else to explain it. And to say that literally all I brought was this tiny mustard seed of faith. The faith that I brought to the table in any of these amazing deliverances that God is doing in my life. This, this small little bit of faith that I brought to the table is not the faith that was there when, when the thing was finally delivered, when the miracle finally happened. God took that tiny little mustard seed and grew it. I don't care what anybody says. You cannot learn what I'm teaching right now in seminary school unless you are living by faith in seminary school. You cannot learn any of these things by reading a book. You cannot learn these things by reading the Bible. These things can be confirmed by reading a book or confirmed by reading the Bible. But these are things that you have to know that you know that you know that you know through experience. This is John 7, 17. Anyone that chooses to do my will, obeying my teachings, is what Jesus is implying, will find out through experience whether my teaching comes from God or I speak on my own like a normal man. No, these were God's words. You will know. And I know this goes so far beyond paper faith that we get when we come to the Bible. Read the Bible, memorize the Bible, know the Bible, study the Bible, be in a Bible study, talk about the Bible. None of that does you any good until you take a risk and you decide to put it in action. And it's not this big, scary, noble risk. I don't want anybody to think again. The biggest thing I want to bring home is I don't want anybody thinking that I'm some big, huge, giant risk taker that needs to be put on a shelf and displayed for all to see what a super Christian looks like. That is ridiculous. I am weak. I mean, I've, I've got moments where I'm crying on audio tape going, God Almighty, if you don't show up and save me, I don't want this Christianity anymore. Scared to death. You know, I mean, those moments didn't last long. I'm going to be honest. I don't stay there long. God has helped me. He, he gives me His grace and, and helps lift me up. But man, there's been some scary moments. You can't get to the place where I'm at without being scared some. You can't. You know, you have to bring, you have to walk sometimes in the natural to get you to the faith. You, you, you got to start in the natural and slowly move into the Spirit. You don't just all of a sudden go, okay, yesterday I was all natural, today I'm all Spirit. It doesn't work like that. You're going to lose, you're going to be sanctified. Even Paul says at one point he came to them with much fear and trembling. You think, Paul, after he got zapped on the road to Damascus, could have fear that God might not be with him or that somebody might hurt him in some way? He came to them with fear and trembling to present the Word of God? I think we always have the capacity in our flesh to go with the fear thing and the worry and the anxiety. We always have it. I always have it. I am 11 days away from something really bad happening to me. If God were not to save me. I'm showing up at court for the fourth time of, of one divorce. And they're there to try to overturn the, the miracle that occurred. You know, back on September 
15th of 2012, where God miraculously delivered me and defended me by removing things out of a court document and getting it signed, sealed, and delivered on the 777th day it was delivered to me. And they're trying to overturn that. God has shown me that what His hand has purposed, no one can turn back. So I have faith in that. But the fact that I'm having to go to court, there's more pressure on me because God has asked me not to pay child support. Not He hasn't asked me not to pay child support. He's asked me to trust Him. And every time I've tried to do work or wanted to say yes to work that's been offered to me, God says no. Every single time. So you say to yourself, why in the world would God ask me to do this? Why would God ask me to not pay child support? He's not asking me to not pay child support. He's asking me to trust Him to provide and for me to sit still and be in step with His Spirit. Well, guess what? By doing so, it's putting myself in harm's way. I stand to do a lot of hurt to myself or to my children. I'm obviously causing my mom plenty of worry. That's her responsibility, not mine, because this is not directly affecting her in any way except for that I am living in her house. I could have chosen to save myself by now. But God apparently has a plan. Imagine that. God has a plan. And, and people don't understand and can't figure out what He's doing. As much as I'd like to figure it out, I don't always know what God's doing. I just know I need to obey. And I know how to hear from the Father. He makes it really clear. There again, you know... God speaks to me in a way that is so clear, that is so above reproach, that is so above doubting. I'm without excuse. I really am. I know how God speaks to me. I am more certain of that than anything in my entire life. I'm more certain that I know how to hear from the Father. He's made it abundantly clear. Well, isn't it interesting that God did this for me and I hear from God at a much more intimate regular basis than most Christians, but I'm also living in a more risky, faith-dependent, selfless place than most Christians. Isn't it? Doesn't it make sense that God gives more grace to those who will obey Him and more grace to those who are in need of it? So people may look, oh, your situation's horrible, but I have more of God. I have him talking to me on a daily basis and instructing me. Who wouldn't want that? Most people don't want the circumstances in their life or the walk that it requires to get there. Where I have reconciled that having God and nothing else is better than having everything else and none of God. Having his presence in my life is the greatest treasure I've ever experienced. Could there be something better? No. How do I know this? Because the word of God says it. And how do I know that what it says in there is true? Because I am experiencing through my obedience to God's word that everything he says is true. I'm experiencing this through personal experience. Not by, not by a teacher telling me this is what the Bible says, so this is what you should believe. That's where you start. That's not where you finish. You finish through experiencing the word, experiencing the presence of God. If you do not have that, you do not have anything. Jesus said very clearly in John that if anyone loves him, his father will love him. Those that are obeying his commandments are the ones that love him. And he says that my father and I will come to that person and make our home with him. 
This is an experience. This is an experience. My sheep know my voice. The reason you do not hear God, Jesus said, is because you do not belong to God. Those that belong to God hear His voice. So, again, it's all about experience. People are afraid. They say, oh, but you know, you can't put your faith in experience. That is baloney. People are afraid to be deceived. The people that are afraid of experiencing God for fear of being deceived are deceived already. They, they've, 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 they've eliminated or they've reduced God to a God of paper faith. He's, he's stuck back in those pages. He's in those pages. He's not here now working out the truth of in those pages. When we think that God is trapped inside the pages of the Bible, He's an impotent God. That we, Who would be worthy of that? Who would be worthy of worshiping a paper God that we read about? No, the only point, the only reason you read about Him is to learn about Him so that you can understand that the experiences you have with Him are real. And that you can begin to engage in Him in the ways that other people engaged in Him. And oh, it is quite possible that God is going to ask you to do some things that seem completely contradictory, that seem completely outside of common sense, oh, that are going to seem even dangerous, oh, that other people are going to laugh at, oh, that other people, if you told them what God told you, would think you are a complete babbling idiot. For the saint who walks with God now, he gets much relief and encouragement from seeing that this is the same way God walked with people thousands of years ago in the Bible. I just want to make sure that I capture that, yes, I've had tremendous moments of doubt. I've been here I'm in my prayer circle where I've been just, God, help me, help me. And I'm not 100% sure that I won't wake up in the middle of the night between now and then and have some. But what do I do? <clears throat> Here's how I respond to it. Immediately, by faith, I take my hands off of it. My mind, by disengaging from thinking about it and trying to figure it out immediately. And I say, God, you got this. How can I do that? Because God is the one who put me in this position to begin with. I'm not asking God to take care of anything that he didn't say he would take care of to begin with. He's the one that put me in this position. He's the one that invited me to participate at this level through this kind of obedience with Him, allowing Him to take care of the, the big issues and the miracles and the deliverance in court and my future wife and the money that I need and the results of the ministry. God is telling me. He's showing me how, you know, no matter what I do in ministry, no matter how much I try to market, no matter how great my videos are, no matter how much my ability to communicate, no matter how fancy my website looks, no matter how many people want to promote it, none of that me amounts to anything unless God does the work. It used to be that people in the Bible understood this. We've lost sight of dependence on God because of our ability to make and industrialize things and to become self-sufficient. Back in the day, these the people... We're not cursed with the blessing of technology and prosperity. And what do I mean by this? It is great, yes, but it can be the biggest curse of our life. And here's why. As I read the Bible, I see that man was always able to put their seed in the ground. This was the only way to survive. It was through meat and through seed in the ground. This is how man ate. Everything was about being able to have enough food and enough water. That's how you survived. If you had a lot of food, you were prosperous. Not if you had a lot of TVs or a lot of cars. If you had a lot of animals or a lot of food, you were prosperous. This was prosperity and abundance. But both of those in the Bible were dependent upon God. <clears throat> both of them. 
For animals to mate properly and to be strong and to be healthy, it was dependent upon God. Just read the story of Jacob and Laban and you'll see that God affected the birthing of certain types of animals. It was God that was in control that would give them prosperity in the birthing process. It was God that gave and opened the wombs of women. And a woman's prosperity was in how many children she could bring and bear and sons that she could have. And then the farmer, the man, his abundance came from, he would put seed in the ground. But here's the thing, that's the only thing that he could do. Nobody was ever able to produce the actual food. The abundance, let's call that the materialism of the day. Nobody was able to actually produce the materialism of the day. What do I mean by this? All they could do is put the seed in the ground. They dug, they plowed. They would put the seed in the ground, plow it up, turn it over. But the rest of it was entirely dependent upon God. Why? Because it's God alone that brings the rain. This principle is so important for us Western Christians that have everything at the touch of a button or the push of an app on our phone this drive-through instant society we have, we have got to get back and, and admit, yes, these things are convenient, but it's these very things that have put us in the place of creator-provider and taken God out. We're no longer dependent upon God for a headache. We're no longer dependent upon God to bring that child. We go to Walgreens for the headache, and we go to a birthing specialist, a fertility clinic for the child. We're no longer dependent for God to make our food grow. We have chemicals that have been organized and we have spray systems that we're able to put out and put all kinds of water whenever we need it. We've, we've become so self-contained. Now listen, a lot of that I think is, is good. Some improvements, the ability to take care of, but what is, what is wrong about it is the attitude of dependence upon self that has erupted out of this. We've lost the need to depend upon God. The book Kisses from Katie, New York Times bestseller, girl from Nashville, Tennessee, has life by the horns and gives it all up to go to a, a, a trip in Africa and falls in love in Uganda with these kids and decides to give up her whole convenient life to go love and be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ to this village and to their children. And a year after, she returns to the States and within three days of being back in the States, she's in total depression, she is frustrated, she feels alone, she feels abandoned, and it's because nobody here understands how to live in dependence upon God, and she recognizes that there's a Walgreens on every corner, there's a Burger King everywhere, there's McDonald's, there's this, you don't need to depend upon God for anything here. You can live a life totally free of God in America. There is something so wrong with that. There is something so wrong with that. Oh my gosh, it breaks my heart. It breaks my heart and it should break all of our hearts. We have got to come to grips with the fact that it's awesome that we have these things. But let it be that our hearts return to the giver, to the real creator. And that we give him thanks for our abundance, but that we remain dependent upon him. And if God would take away some of our conveniences and if God... It affects our economy and God, you know, touches our food supply. It'll only be because he's merciful enough to gently push our train off the tracks so that we don't run it off the cliff. What's true in the life of an individual revival-wise and repentance-wise is true of a nation. National revival starts in an individual. National repentance starts in a personal repentance. 
And if God would push my, if God cares enough about me to push my train gently off the tracks so that I don't run it off the cliff, why would he not do this for a nation that he loves? In his mercy, not to punish us, because he is frustrated with evil. Yes, he hates being ignored. Yes, he hates these things. But it's so absolutely just ingrained in us that our, our, our everything from toothpaste to coffee to the morning news, everything is touch button. Everything is self-sufficient, self-provided. There is no need for God. It's almost like we have to turn off all of our little gods to then go give the real God some attention. Oops, let me turn off all these other little things that are making my world happy so that I can kind of return to the ways of the Amish, turn everything off to be with God. It shouldn't have to be like that. It shouldn't have to be like that. So, the reality is that I am truly blessed because I live in total dependence upon the Father. By His grace, I didn't get here of my own super Christian way. I got here by signing up. I got here by surrendering. And, and, and not just in words on a page in a book I read, but by getting on my knees and saying, Father, I know that my life is not working the way you would have it work. I know that I'm making choices in my life that you would not choose for my life. Father, I know that there are things in my life and in my heart that stand between where I'm at and where you would like for me to be and where you would want to see my life used to bring you glory. Father, I surrender all things. And I surrendered my family. I surrendered my business. I surrendered my finances. I surrendered the house. I literally, one by one, on my knees, gave over in faith everything to the Father. And then the Lord slowly began to take all of those things from me and allowed me to go through a season of intense, intense suffering. Intense suffering. I wouldn't wish it upon very many people. And yet, I would wish it upon people because it is the best thing that's ever happened to me. God used that suffering to begin to empty me of me and to begin to place upon my heart the desire to reach a hold of Him and grab a hold of Him and never let go. I never let go. Now, I came close to letting go and quitting, but there again, His grace empowered me to strengthen my grip upon Him. And what I have discovered is that the process of emptying of me and the filling up of Him began to occur. And this takes a lot of time. I'm sure for some people it takes more time than for others. For me, it had been extremely ingrained in me, life is like this. I had been motivationally indoctrinated, I had all of the principles of the business world in me, and that life was like this was very strong in me, and so God used a lot of suffering and a lot of adversity and a very lengthy period of time to begin to break me of all of these thoughts and opinions and of my self-desire, and of my self-will, and of my unbiblical world view. And he began to teach me how to depend upon him, how to seek him, how to be in daily relationship and dependence upon him. And my life switched from one of me determining my daily agenda, and my future vision, and future mission, and future dreams and objectives, to, Daddy, what do you want me to know today? What do you want me to do today? And even when I didn't know to ask, God still by His grace 
began to guide and direct me specifically with specific scriptures. And he took me through and navigated my life through some extraordinarily difficult seasons. I mean, of bad, 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 bad divorce and suffering and issues with my ex-wife and my children and persecution and, and all kinds of things. But God navigated me through all of that. And through that, through the suffering, God began to develop a track record of faithfulness with me. I began to see that God actually is who He says He is in the Bible. That God actually does what He says He does in the Bible. That everything in the Bible is possible for all followers to grab a hold of and to believe for in faith if you will simply but believe and take God up. And here's the, here's the coolest part about the whole deal. I didn't have to have it all figured out. I didn't have to know then at the start of the journey what I know now through wisdom and experience and through the teaching of the Holy Spirit. I didn't have to be very knowledgeable. I had to have a desire. I had to have some humility, just a mustard seed of desire and humility to present to God to say, okay, I'm done doing this my way. I want you to take over and show me how to do life. And I began to realize as I went through this process that God really does want to do more of the things in our life that we are doing on our own or at least attempting to. In other words, it really is that God would have it that we would be far less the doers in our life and far more the beer of just being his son or daughter and allowing him to do it. Again, it goes back to, you know, we put the seeds of faith in the ground. We sprinkle the seeds of the gospel here and there and God we trust to bring the water to make it grow. It's a dependence upon him. We do our part. But ultimately, it's all up to God. And He loves it that way. And that's the way He's designed it because God is again about Himself. He's about His glory. So He looks for people that He can teach how to walk with Him. He looks for people that will yield themselves to Him, that can be vessels of His life and of His truth and of His love and of His faith and of His gentleness, of His hope, of His encouragement, of His power. He looks for people that will yield enough of themselves, that will count themselves or show themselves trustworthy. This is what God's been doing with me, is that He's been emptying me, emptying me, emptying me, and, and refilling me with Himself. And what God has shown me is that there is, there is more power of the Spirit that He wishes to put in me once He knows that I'm trustworthy enough and that by Him giving me that power, it will not corrupt the Christ-like character that He's placing inside of me. I'm having to be tested to see that if, will I trust God no matter what He says, when He says it, regardless of how I think or what the circumstances appear? Does God look down and say, no matter what's going on with Michael, I can zap him with a word and he'll turn and obey? That even if he starts heading in the right direction and gets a little power hungry, will he obey my word? Can he be trusted? Even if it looks like he's going to do himself harm, can I trust him? And that's what God is looking for in people. This is why we see he turns to Abraham and says, Abraham, do not lay a hand on him. And he says to Abraham when he was about to kill Isaac, I now see that you will not even withhold your own son from me. It was a test. The chapter starts out, and God tested Abraham. This is an absolute astonishing adventure. 
And for those that will trust, for those that will renounce themselves, for those that are willing to do what other people think is stupid, for those that are willing to do what other people think is foolish or dangerous maybe even, for those that are willing to abort common sense, to birth life that comes through obedience to God, when it's needed. Some common sense is good. I'm not saying that God asks us to disconnect our brain. But when God gives you a word and gives you specific instructions, will He find you willing to obey that regardless of what the laws of the universe, rather, or the laws of the world, or the ways of the world say? This is an adventure. It is absolutely tough. There is nothing easy about doing this. It is very much a marathon race. It is very much a race. It is very much a competition. We must very much keep our eye on the prize. And you can only do this by being totally dependent upon and, and death gripped on God. I don't see how anybody can do this without clinging with everything they have to God. Now granted, people that don't want to see the kind of things I want to see have it easier. And people that want to see things bigger than me have it harder. So the more we ask of God, the more He asks of us. But He also, the more grace He gives us to empower us to do it. And there are days that I worry and days that I've thought, man, I just, God, I just need you to help me get through this day, Lord. And I know your mercies are new every day. God, just give me enough grace to get me through. And so far, I have almost four years, three and a half at least, three years and some change on the actual divorce that God will sustain you. That you can wake up no matter what you're going through years the other side of it and go how in the world did God ever get me here? And I just totally believe that everything I'm saying is going to have an exclamation mark on it from God when He begins to exalt me. I have humbled myself I have stayed put. I have been willing to be made fun of. I've been willing to be called a fool by my own family and flesh and blood. I've been willing to be persecuted. I've been willing to sit still and bring myself suffering. I've been willing to relinquish my freedom to go and do what I want when I want. I've been willing to be patient and to give up friendships. I've been willing to wait for my future wife and to sit and study. I've been willing to watch my own enemy have evidence that I'm everything they've accused me of being because I'm not, quote, paying the child support. And in their mind, they've created their own reasons. I've been willing to look fragile and weak in the eyes of my children and to almost look a fool in their eyes. And I've been willing to continue to hold on to God through all of it and trust that He will bring exaltation that the day of exaltation will come, that He will, after I've suffered for a while, lift me up in due time, and He will strengthen me and make me firm and establish me, that His eyes do roam throughout the earth and look down upon me and finds me wholehearted in devotion to Him so that He can strengthen me. The day is coming, and, and my God doesn't do anything in a small way. I believe that God is going to do something extraordinary. This is my last point, I promise. I always have the capacity to doubt. 
if I no longer had a choice to believe in faith or to doubt, that's the moment I believe I become delusional. I really believe that a person who is delusional is a person who does not have the mental capacity to think on both sides of the coin. They have lost their ability to reason and they can only see in their mind one side of the coin. That is not where I'm at. I always have the capacity to doubt and to worry and to move into logic and to begin to think and reason in my own mind, you know, what this must mean, what's the truth about this, why would God be doing this, you know, what could my other motivations be, you know, why would God do these things, why would He not do these things, I always have the capacity to reason in my mind. And yet, I have a bigger capacity by the Spirit of God in me to trust. And that is the difference between somebody who walks in genuine faith in God and somebody who is delusional. A delusional person has lost their ability to choose. I always have the ability to choose. And I choose spirit. I choose faith. I choose to abandon reason and to abandon common sense in the face of God's specific directions for me. To do otherwise is to slap God in the face or to, to, to deny His ability to come through on His promises that are in His Word. And I know that God is going to validate everything I've said. I just know it. God has already told me that He will. God many times answers prayers long before you actually get them. And God has shown me already that my faith has already delivered me. So any day now, there is either going to be a check in the mail, and again, I'm not trying to figure it out, but someday now, there is going to be a sizable, significant deliverance that is going to pay all of my child support, all of my taxes, my phone bills, and then some. It will be enough money for me to buy my own vehicle. It will be enough money for me to get my own place to live. God is going to provide in abundance in abundance, because He knows that He can trust me with it, and that my hope is not in the money, my hope is in Him. And I will steward it well, I will give how He wants me to give, I will use it to produce the ministry and to, to fund getting His Word out, but God is going to provide, and it's going to be from somebody that I never asked, and that I never even hinted about. God is going to do this in an amazing way. I mean, it may not even be from somebody, I don't know, but I sense, I strongly sense that it's going to be from somebody that God is going to move on their heart through my prayers. And when people see it, they're going to be blown away. And, and God will say, see, I told you so. That's it. And if He doesn't, I told my mom this morning, I laughed, I said, if God doesn't come through for me on this, I said, then I'll be the first to put the straight jacket on myself. And she goes, and then I'll bury you in the backyard because you're going to need it. Meaning it's better to just dead, be dead than go to jail. That's what my mom's been saying. Do you, do you know what it's like to go to jail? And I said, yeah, actually I've been. Remember when I ran from the police officer when I was in my early 20s on my motorcycle? She goes, but you were only there for two days. So anyhow, I stand in faith. That's a one-hour message. Hopefully it blesses somebody that listens to it because it's going to bless me. It's going to bless my children. And I'm not going to let anybody hear this message until God delivers and then they will believe. Praise God. Praise God.